On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the downtown entertainment complex thing that's going on. There were developers and proponents and groups in front of council today making their first pitch. But what do you think about it? Are you sold on this idea? Are you are you buying in to what they are selling or are you skeptical? We're going to hear from you. Uh, we're also going to be chatting about scalping. A lot of us once in our life or more have bought tickets from the secondary market, but there are groups, there are a lot of people who want to get rid of it. Should they? How are they doing it? How successful are they being? Well, I'll give you a hint on the last one. Not very. And we are going to chat about the Raptors. Is the NBA working behind the scenes to get Masai Ujiri, the GM, the guy who built the championship, is the NBA behind the scenes working to get him out of Toronto? And should Pete Rose be back in baseball based on what happened with the Houston Astros? So many things to talk about. All coming up. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Talking about the downtown entertainment district, lots has been discussed about this. Lots has been talked about this. Endlessly talked about. We're not quite to LRT or stadium territory yet, but we're rapidly approaching there. And so... You know what's going on. We've got an old arena that needs a lot of repairs. We've got a convention center that apparently is too small. We've got a theater concert hall that may be okay, but could use some cleaning up. And the city is trying to figure out how to do all this stuff without spending a fortune. And so they made a decision some time back, like in the last month, that they were going to say no to an arena proposal on Lime Ridge Mall that Michael Landlauer, the owner of the Bulldogs, proposed, that he would have put some money in, Cadillac Fairview would have done some stuff, the city would have put some money in. Uh, That was turned down because, no, they don't want to spend the money. Okay, that was their choice. And the idea was that we can do this downtown. Downtown is where this has to be. Downtown is where this has to be. That's the overwhelming consensus on council. Downtown, if we're going to build a stadium or fix up an arena, I mean, if we're going to have these kind of entertainment facilities, they must be in the downtown. This has to be a stimulator of the downtown core. Be that as it may, some of you agree, some of you disagree. But more specifically, what happened today at the General Issues Committee, which is a branch of city council, is that the Vrancor group, which is proposing a their version of the development, and the Mercanti Group, which is called the, um, I can't remember now, it's a long name. We had PJ Mercanti on last night on the show explaining what they want to do, hold, uh, condos and a larger convention center and fixing up the arena, things like that. And you now have a third group that is dipping their toe. I don't know if they've dove into it fully yet, but Pearl Hospitality, based out of Ancaster, um, they run things like the Ancaster Mill and the Laura Mill eateries. They're now saying they would be interested in getting into this. So we have at least, at least three groups that want to be the ones that develop the downtown entertainment district. And the there are some common denominators. All of them, as I understand it, and look, there's a lot of details in this. Uh, I... I will tell you what I believe to be the case, and if I'm wrong, I'll tell you that I'm wrong. But all of them, as I understand it, say they want to redevelop the convention center, make it much bigger, because we need that extra space. They have different visions of what that would be, but they want to make a much bigger convention center downtown. They want to fix up the arena. They want to then build other 
things there. Vrancor wants condos and office space. The Mercanti Group wants condos and maybe some other things. Uh, not completely clear yet what the Pearl Hospitality would be looking for at this point, although I, I have no doubt that if they fully do get into it, that they, they will be much more clear. And the other common denominator that seems to be coming up so far is the position that they're all taking, that this would be a non-taxpayer thing. This would be private sector money. Now, some clarity on that one. Last night when JP, PJ Mercanti was on here, uh, he mentioned that this is, we're talking municipal taxes. There could be, there should be, there may be grants from the provincial and federal levels. So it's not really taxpayer free. It's not city tax effective. So your municipal taxes, the city levy would not be affected by this. The view always is, hey, let someone else from somewhere else pay for this. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, the taxpayer is the taxpayer. I've long argued that long argued that because you, the federal or provincial government will say, hey, look, we're giving you money from elsewhere in the province, elsewhere in the country to build your thing. It's not you. You're getting, but then they do the same in Kingston and Kitchener and wherever else, Toronto and Ottawa. And they say, hey, look, we're giving you, and that's our money. So it all balances out in the end. Anyway, point is, I want to know from you if what you're hearing so far is inspiring to you, is exciting to you, is giving you hope, is giving you optimism. I mean, look, there are absolutely parts of this that are very interesting and very exciting to think about. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. There are parts of this that you look at and you go, wow, those are some pretty ambitious, cool ideas. But I want to know if you are buying into this, if you think that this is sounding like it's really good and you are on board with this, or if you have skepticism and maybe some doubts about this for whatever reason, whether it's because you aren't really sure that what would get built would be what we see, or if you have doubts about council's ability to deliver or whatever it is, are you really excited when you hear this? And look, you are fully entitled to be, because as I say, there is stuff in here that I think is very exciting when you look at it. But are you buying in? Are you sold in this one now? Are you ready to are you ready to say, yes, let's do this as a city? Let's make this thing happen. Or are you saying, let's let's tap the brakes here a little bit? I'm not so sure this thing is gonna work. I want to know where you are sitting on this one. 905-645-3221, star nine nine zero zero. You can also write me Radley, R-A-D-L-E-Y, Radley at 900 chmlcom We're gonna take a break and come back and hear from you. Are you buying in. Are you sold on what we're hearing about the downtown entertainment complex as a big picture? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Groups were in front of city council today making their first real pitch. And it's all about building a downtown entertainment district. The council has decided they want it downtown. And so they are going to go ahead and look at this proposal, these proposals, private sector, no municipal tax dollars, we are told. Want to know if you are, when you hear some of the proposals, which sound, look, some of them sound amazing. Some of the stuff in the proposal sounds amazing. Are you buying in? Are Are you on board with this thing or are you a little bit of a skeptic. 
I want to know if they are winning the PR battle or not. They and the city are winning the PR battle or not. Uh, Email from Rick. Handing over downtown development to private investors is a no-brainer. They will produce high-quality, efficient, and on-budget, well-run venues. After all, it's their investment at stake. It's a win for both the city and the taxpayer. Bring it on! Two exclamation marks for Rick. What do you think? I'm going to go to AJ first today. AJ, how are you? Doing well yourself. Excellent, thank you. Now, are you buying in or are you a little skeptical at this point? I'm 100% buying in. I just hope the city doesn't blow another opportunity where private sector money is willing to invest in Hamilton. Uh, Because time and time again, any time that there's been private entities wanting to invest into Hamilton, the city seems to find a way to drop the ball or want to do a million reports, and it's become very unfriendly for private venture. All three people that were in front of council all have history and a business background between development, entertainment, and building a sustainable business model. So to me, it's a no-brainer. I just hope the city doesn't fumble with their reports after reports, delays after delays, where it becomes unattractive for these uh, private companies to invest their money. And at the end of the day, they're investing a lot of their own money and goodwill into developing Hamilton. So I just hope council doesn't really drop the ball like they have historically in the past. You know what's so funny about what you just said, AJ, is I said at the start, are you skeptical or optimistic? I think you're both because you sound very optimistic about the idea behind it, but very skeptical it's actually going to happen. Well, you, you look at, and I know it's a different matter, but you look at the, the Bulldogs team where you have other private people wanting to spend money and the city drops the ball. So my concern is First Ontario Place needs a major redo. The downtown core, there's a lot of developers investing a lot of money. If it's the Knot condos, new buildings, new restaurants, we're trying to bring people there. These companies are all bidding, are in the business of keeping people there, or they wouldn't have a viable business. My concern has nothing to do with the company's bidding. My concern, and skeptical, like you said, is hopefully the city doesn't drown this in paperwork and bureaucracy of going in giant circles. AJ, I appreciate your call. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Let me go to Frank, by the way, 905-645-3221 or star 9900 if you have an opinion on whether you're buying in or whether you're skeptical. But Frank is up. Frank, how are you this evening? Right now, Scott, you're making me angry. Uh-oh. Why? It wasn't weeks ago when you were touting the Mountain Arena and you were, you were blaspheming the city council for not letting that happen. This venture that's coming downtown and you were sort of against if i if i right, the downtown venture this as the two callers before me said this is the opportunity of the century right now look at the people scott maybe not in my time but in yours you're going to see so many people living in the sky downtown coming down elevators to go where these guys that are doing this got a very wide vision hamilton is a bargain today this thing is, this has got to turn out. All you, I want you to do is don't face any degree of apprehension and negativity towards this. Let's get behind it. Frank, now, Frank, you are, you are correct, by the way, that I was in favor of the mountain one, largely because it was a, there were private, there was private money going in and there was a, it's a huge part of the city that also needs to be looked after. Now, the fact that the city has said they're not going to go there, I don't think that means then you turn around and say, well, if it's not going to go there, then screw the whole city. I think you then say, okay, now what's our best option next? And so that's where we are. So I would like to say that that, that mindset's gone after these guys have knocked on the door. Maybe. They're, they're, they've got it all figured out. 
We will. Well, we're going to find out pretty soon, Frank. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out pretty soon. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Post it. Come on. Let us go to Fred. Fred, how are you this evening? I'm okay as a middle class person. <laughs> what do you think? Are you buying into this or are no, you skeptical? I'm not buying into this. Uh, what's going to happen? I kind of predict here. City council might say yes, but the government is going to say no because they got they want to go for monies from you and I from the federal and provincial government. And I don't want any of my money to go into this. If these guys, like, who's going to say I got a billion dollars and I can spend it here, go here and there? If they got the billion dollars, spend it. Why come after a taxpayer indirectly through federal and provincial government? Because they still say they need money. Fred. Like, come on, let's th- give your head a shake here. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate the call. i got to get to Chris before we go to a break. Chris, how are you tonight? Very good. Thanks for taking my call. I live in Bronco, but I was born and grew up in Hamilton. Listen, uh, I'll do it very quickly. This is a boondoggle. Don't be uh, overshadowed, overtaken by these uh, kind of ritzy proposals. You just got to look down to Toronto and look what happened, for example, with the Dome. When they say there's no municipal money going in, they're saying, well, there may be some grants and this and that and the other thing. I'm going to tell you right now, the bill will be paid by the taxpayer and the guys are going to be laughing all the way to the bank are the Mercantes or these other guys that are making these proposals. They're in it for one thing, great big bucks. I'm all for it, but let them pay for it. No government involvement. End of story. That's my opinion. Thanks for the call, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, We'll be talking about this going forward because there are these proposals in front of the city now. They are important proposals because, as I say, the mountain's now out of the picture. It's going downtown. We've got to do something with it. There's only so many options for fixing or doing something with the arena and the other facilities, so we've got to move forward somehow. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever bought tickets from a scalper. That's kind of old school. Once upon a time, if you ever went to a Maple Leafs game and you walked the gauntlet on Carlton Street, you got out of the subway and you had to walk by all the millions seemingly of scalpers. Everybody seemed to have someone else's tickets and they were selling them for more than face value. Back then though, when I was a kid and doing that, they weren't really all that expensive. So you could buy a ticket for not all that much. But now you go on to the secondary market, which is more of an online thing. And man, some of the ticket prices can be stiff. Well, some bands have taken steps to try to avoid this so their fans can get the tickets. They've tried to find ways to cut the scalpers out of the mix with, I was going to say mixed results, but I think that would be overstating it because it seems that almost any attempt to cut scalpers out of the mix ends in failure. Alan Cross has written about this. Uh, he is a fantastic music writer, probably the best music writer around these days. He writes uh, on a website, A Journal of Musical Things. He's also the guy behind the ongoing history of new music. He joins us now. Alan, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. This is a really interesting thing, and we're trying to, uh, to get to the bottom of the, of the whole business. Well, the best part of this uh, piece that you've written, or one of the best parts about it, there are many good pieces. People should go read it. The, the headline, by the way, are you thinking about reselling your Pearl Jam tickets? Think again. Uh, is that as of the time of the writing, you didn't have the full answer yet. I love that, that it leaves you know some mystery and leaves the door open here. But let, let's go back, because Pearl Jam, they're coming to Hamilton in whenever they're coming to Hamilton. I can't remember now. And it'll be a sellout. And... Pearl Jam, as you explained, has been working with Ticketmaster to make sure that scalpers don't get their hands on tickets, right? 
this is it. Uh, it sounds funny to say Pearl Jam working with Ticketmaster. Working with the man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it's true. Um, bands like Pearl Jam are really, really concerned about fans. They want to make sure that when they go on tour, which isn't that often these days, that the tickets go into the hands of real fans and not to secondary uh, sellers, brokers, or scalpers. So working with Ticketmaster, they came up with a scheme that seems to be bundled after something that they did last year with a couple of shows in the U.K. First of all, Ticketmaster has this thing called Verified Fan. And what that is, if anybody's bought tickets, you have to, uh, on Ticketmaster before, you have to certify that you are who you say you are. Uh, You go through a little bit of a, a rigmarole to make that happen. Secondly, the way things worked was that you could, when you bought tickets, those tickets were downloaded to your mobile phone. That's where they lived, and that's where they were stuck. These tickets are non-transferable. It's something called safe ticks. The only way to get rid of tickets, let's say you can't go to a show for whatever reason, is to participate in a fan exchange. That means you could only sell your tickets to another Pearl Jam fan who has gone through the same sort of rigmarole to become verified and to get the app and all the rest of it. And you can only sell it to that person for whatever you paid for. So, in other words, in this particular case, face value. So uh, Ticketmaster and Pearl Jam have worked to cut the brokers out of the scheme entirely. However, if you do go online, you will find certain sites offering Pearl Jam tickets for Hamilton for as much as $4,000 for a general admission ticket. Now, let me let me jump in for just one second. Do we know for sure these are legitimate tickets, first of all? We don't. We don't. These tend to be speculative. So whoever is advertising these things says that, well, we are pretty sure that we can get a hold of said tickets. However, we don't know by what mechanism they they can get hold of them because these tickets are supposed to be locked to an individual's cell phone. So I did some digging around. I tried to figure out exactly how this could be. How could these tickets leak out into the secondary market? Well, a couple of ways. Maybe there are hard tickets available through things like radio station contests. Maybe there are hard tickets available to people who have corporate boxes. Maybe there are people who have guest list tickets that are hard tickets. So that's three ways that they could possibly uh, leak out. Another situation is maybe you have some brokers who went out and bought a bunch of cheap Android phones and bought tickets that way. So when you buy your tickets to the broker, what you end up getting are the tickets on a phone. Hmm. So there, those are four different ways that this could happen. Now, I did get a statement from Ticketmaster today And here's what they said. The non-transferability of Gigaton tickets, Gigaton being the tour that Pearl Jam is going on, the non-transferability of Gigaton tickets has been extensively communicated to fans from the outset and is prominently featured at every step of the discovery and purchase process. To eliminate confusion among the secondary market, and broker communities, we also sent them a notification advising that tickets for this tour are not available for resale. Only SafeTix Mobile, 
that's the tickets that are locked to your phone, only SafeTix mobile tickets will be valid for entry, and SafeTix tickets can only be issued directly from Ticketmaster. So in other words, I would not try buying tickets on the secondary market because you could end up getting very badly burned. Well, okay, so Pearl Jam, and we got to take a break in a second here. Pearl Jam is one example, but I mean, this is this is an issue we've we've had legislation tried to anyway in Ontario to sort this thing out, and never seems to f- to be fixed. It, it seems like stopping scalpers is like stopping dopers at the Olympics. They they're always one step ahead. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm talking with Alan Cross, music writer. About scalping, he's written a great piece on his blog, um, the blog, by the way, A Journal of Musical Things. You can go look that up, the uh, the blog, or the uh, the website. Shockingly, ajournalofmusicalthings.com, just in case uh, you were looking for something not too confusing to remember. Um, Alan, just before the break, we were saying how we seem to be able to solve complex crimes in our society with people moving money around internationally from bank account to hidden bank account. We can, we can solve all these huge problems with crime. How come we can't stop scalping? It doesn't seem like it should be that big a problem. Well, it's because the industry actually, uh, in, 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 outside this program situation, it's because the industry actually encourages it or they make it very, very easy. For example, Ticketmaster has their own secondary market called second, uh, called Tickets Now. And they will facilitate bulk buyers of tickets, uh, moving tickets from the general public or general sale to these um, to to the secondary market where they can um, charge you know multiples of face value. So uh, the other thing is that that Ticketmaster turns a, a blind eye to somebody who might want to transfer their tickets to a StubHub or a Vivid Seats or any number of other secondary brokers. The issue here is that tickets are a perishable commodity that are in huge demand, and nobody really, you know, it, it's like anything else. If, if there's supply and demand, the market takes over, and there are always people willing to pay big dollars for tickets. And uh, this is going to come across as really weird, but I don't really have a problem with tickets ending up in the secondary market because this is just how capitalism works. A lot of people want to put a cap on concert ticket prices, but listen, I would like there to be a cap on a liter of gas. That's never going to happen. I would like there to be a cap on the price of beef, and that's never going to happen. So why should tickets, which are a leisure item purchased with after-tax disposable income, be uh, price-regulated? It's not a right to go to a show. So again, the marketplace is going to take over and deal with supply and demand. And what often happens with concert tickets is that they are underpriced at when they do go on sale. And if you want to see what the true market value for a concert ticket is, what the, you know, what it, sh- what it should cost based on supply and demand, you look at the secondary markets for 24 to 48 hours before a show, and that will tell you what the ticket should have been priced at in the beginning. Well, it's, it's, you know, take sports memorabilia or any kind of memorabilia, go online. It, it, the value is whatever someone's willing to pay for it. That's, that's exactly it. And it's the same thing with, with Leaf tickets. It's the same thing with Blue Jay tickets. It's the same thing with uh, theater tickets. Uh, if, if, if you have some and somebody is willing to pay more than what you paid for it, you have the option of actually taking that person up on their offer. Now, one of the things that you can't do 
is uh, one of the type of tickets that you can't resell are airline tickets. Mm. Because for security reasons, those tickets are tied to you. So you may have gotten in early on a particular flight and you paid you know, $400 to go to Florida. Uh, as you get closer to flight time, the price of a ticket goes up based on how many tickets are left on that particular flight. You can't, if the flight is sold out, you can't turn around and sell your ticket to somebody else uh, who may be unable to get a seat on that particular flight and take a profit. That's just not allowed. Uh, and- well, and, and you know, it's like, it's a great point, And I'm kind of shocked that we agree on this because I've always wondered when you go to the grocery store, you, the, you, we have no complaint that the grocery store is charging us more than they paid the distributor for whatever that food item was. It's built in that we will pay a premium rather than going to a farm and buying it. There is a middleman and we pay extra for that. And that's just, and, and we do that with everything. We do that with buying a car. We do that with buying anything and we don't have any problem with it. And yet when it comes to concert tickets, we say, well, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And, and I'm with you. Like, to the, I don't want to be gouged, but if I'm willing to pay $700 for tickets, why shouldn't they charge me that? Well, well, that's it. Now, there are many different ways to get tickets ahead of time where you don't have to go to the secondary market. For example, if you have an American Express card, you can get tickets by going to their front-of-the-line offer. If you're a member of a fan club for a particular artist, you get first dibs at tickets. And all these go on sale before the general on-sale date, which is usually Friday at 10 a.m. These tickets become available throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever. And if you really want to go to the show, well, there are mechanisms that you can access that will allow you to get tickets at face value. Or you can listen to radio stations like this one and sometimes win your tickets and then they're free. You don't have to worry about it at all. There you go. That's that's another thing. Or turn around and just sell them on the secondary market for a huge markup. That's always been a problem with people who want to get tickets on radio stations is they put them up for sale. But this issue of transferability, the, the ticketing industry, the concert industry would love to be able to really clamp down on this idea of you being able to transfer you as an individual to be able to transfer ownership of these tickets to somebody else. Now, when you think about it, what you're dealing with, like I said, you're dealing with a perishable commodity that gives you, it's, a ticket is a license to go into a particular venue to cease an event at a particular time and date. And what they're trying to change is, is, is our perception of what a ticket is. It's, it's not yours to do with what you please. It is a license tied to you that allows you and you only this particular activity. Yeah, they, we got to run, unfortunately, but yeah, they, they would love to take it out of your hands so they can move it to their own secondary market and charge more, but they take you out of the mix. So they make all the dough. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's, um, largely how it works. Listen, we, I I would love, I want everyone to go and read this at some point when they get a chance. Again, at journalofmusicalthings.com. The piece is called, are you thinking about reselling your Pearl Jam tickets, which could be appropriate here in Hamilton? Think again. Uh, Alan Cross, always love having you on. Thanks for doing this today. You're very welcome. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There are a couple interesting, really interesting stories that, um, that I want to dive into with our good Bubba, Bub, our good buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Okay, I just can't say buddy and Bubba in the same sentence without getting them confused. Thanks for doing this. Hey, good to hear you. Nonetheless. 
All right, uh, I got two stories that really jumped off the page at me today that I wanted to get into with you. I'm going to start with this one. It involves the Toronto Raptors. It involves Masai Ujiri, who's the general manager, the club president. There is this story that the New York Knicks, which who basically, which is basically the most dysfunctional, screwed up, messed up franchise probably in the world right now. They are going to be making a move, we hear, to go after Masai Ujiri from the Raptors because he is the man who will solve all their problems, so the story goes. That part of the story, okay, that's that's fine. I mean, look, every team has a has a dream of who they can get, who can make things better, and lots of guys get targeted by lots of teams, and lots of administrators and executives move around in sports. The weird part about this story, Bubba, is that Mark Stein from the New York Times yesterday in his notes column, said that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, is also pushing this move to get Masai Ujiri to New York. Could this possibly be true that the league is essentially tampering against the Toronto Raptors to help New York? Well, I, I don't know if it's tampering. I, I don't think I would go that far. All right. I mean that, but I, Meddling? But I, but I think I think that... I think if you're a commissioner of any league, you're obviously working for the owners. And I think you're always looking at the big picture, right? And the New York franchise is arguably, you know, a a charter franchise along with the Celtics and L.A. Lakers, with all due respect to every other team of the league, uh, as the number one teams in the league. And, of course, you're talking about a major market in New York City that has, you know, had a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2012. That's inexcusable, and under James Dolan, the team has been an absolute mess. Masai Ujiri is a proven executive. Um, you know, his days in Denver were, were, you know, he's made unbelievable trades to get that team back on the map, and we all know what he did here with the Raptors. Now, here's, here, here's the rub. I, I would believe that the commissioner would do anything to have that, to revive that market. Now, does that mean he forces the Raptors to make a move? He can't do that, but he can certainly suggest he could make it uh, uh, comfortable for the Raptors uh, to do so. And, and I, you know, and I, I think that's probably what's happening here. And I would be—I am not—I would not be surprised. In fact, I'm expecting Masai Ujiri to leave. Uh, and become a New York Nick. Okay, and look, if Masai Ujiri decides to leave and become a New York Nick, uh, a couple things. First of all, he'll make a ton of dough. Second of all, even with a ton of dough, he should be tested for a variety of hallucinogenics because you would have to be out of your mind to go and work for that organization. What do we like in life? life? We Money. all love a I challenge. Know. Money and power and a challenge. I, I get it. I yeah. get it. So, but if he leaves, look, as I said a moment ago, we've got lots of executives, lots of general managers from all over sports who have gone to different teams, including teams that were their arch enemy at one time. So that's not, you know, fine if he wants to do that. But if in fact there's any truth to the rumor that the commissioner of the league is, okay, we'll take out the word tampering because you're right. That's not the right word, but meddling somehow. That's so unseemly. It is, even if New York is, as you say, this glamour charter franchise, you can't have the guy running the league essentially operating as a conduit for one of the teams against conduit, another team. I think it's too far, Scott. I think he's, he, he's, there's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, and come on, you know, you, you've been around sports as long as I have been. This would not be the first commissioner to make something like this or to, to help guide something like this to happen. This is happening. This is happening everywhere, and this wouldn't be the first time where the NBA has, 
you know, uh, and I'll, I'm just pointing out the NBA because that's what we're talking about, have turned down trades or rejected trades or made trades. Uh, fuck, they, they regularly ran a franchise for one time and made trades. Uh, th- this would not be the first time that this has happened in any league to make, I mean, think about this. Didn't the National Hockey League and the commissioner and Bill Daly make things real easy for the Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, they, well, they, they changed, they actually changed after many years, the structure of the that's draft. That's true, that's true. To, to, to make sure that the Golden Knights are not just like every other franchise team that comes in the league and takes four to five years to make the playoffs. They made it very comfortable for them to have that by changing the structure of the draft. And what happened? They ended up making the Stanley Cup final. But, so but if Gary... the first time that, that commissioners have changed rules or adjusted things to, to suit the betterment of the league. Uh, and that, you're right about that. But if Gary Bettman had quietly behind the scenes encouraged or cajoled or whatever word you want to use for, say, Vegas to go and get Marc-Andre Fleury or someone else. Because he went there, but that was not that was because, yeah, Vegas had the advantages they had, but they themselves came up with their plan. Yeah, and they, well, that's what I'm saying, Scott, that the league changed under Gary Get- Bettman, changed the rules of the draft that basically you as another team could not protect your some of your best players. So so if you want to call it meddling, there's your example of meddling in another league. Almost almost to a point that's I think more obvious than what's going on here with the 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 Knicks and the, and the Raptors. I think if you are Adam Silver right now and the, the league did put out a statement saying it's not true what Mark Stein wrote in the New York Times, although you know, Mark Stein's a pretty, very highly reputable reporter. New York Absolutely. Times is, you know, this, this is like, this didn't come out. He didn't make this up. This is not out of nowhere. If Adam, Adam Silver, if this were to turn out to be true, has to do something because his credibility, the league's credibility in Toronto is going to be destroyed. If, it, if there is a perception, Bob, in Toronto, the team, and you just talked about like changing the draft, the Raptors were one of the poster children for getting completely hose-bagged in a draft. The way that when they came in as an expansion team and couldn't have a, a first three pick for the first like two or three years, yeah. and mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, were, they were guaranteed to stink for a long time. That's right. You them now and, have them, th- them and other franchises. Vancouver yeah. Oh yeah, Vancouver too. But look what happened to Vancouver. They just folded because of it. Uh, well, it, they 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 left. The owner left. Well, they they left. When I say folded, they didn't fold. They left town because they folded from Vancouver. Is what I mean. Um, the reality is, though, you how do you possibly convince a great fan base, not just in Toronto but across Canada? that the league doesn't either take you for granted or not care about you if it turns out that there's anything to this. Because okay, so, okay. that, that becomes and, your second problem. And, and I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it's a problem. Because at the end of the day, Scott, Masai Ajiri has choice. He's not being forced. He's not being told to go to New York. He has the choice to go if he so pleases. He could always say, no way, Jose. Uh, I flirted with it. I thought about it. Uh, it's an amazing challenge. Uh, like anyone, like a Brendan Shanahan, the opportunity to try and turn around the Leafs and win a Stanley Cup for the first time in a lifetime is uh, is one of the biggest honors possibly ever. Uh, and for a team that hasn't won the NBA championship since 1973, I think, mm. two or three, 
you know, if Masai chooses to take that upon himself to say, I'd like that challenge, I've done my job here in Toronto, it's this, the, the team is in fantastic hands with Bobby Webster. Although the rumors are that he's going too if he leaves. Wow, that would be that would be a surprise too. But I believe there are many people within this franchise. I think the, the Raptors are in a good are in good shape right now. Would we rather have Masai running it? Absolutely. That, now, one other thing: it is worth remembering that once upon a time, the first every year of the NBA draft lottery, the story still persists. Oh, the frozen envelope! That the NBA fixed the lottery to make sure that the Knicks got Patrick Ewing. Still didn't get them a championship, but the 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 Knicks thing that the league has been working for the Knicks for a long time has been around for many, many, many years. Yeah, I, again, I, I th- not I successfully. Do that, I do believe <laughs> at the end of the day that this is up to Masai and. We're all going to look for scapegoats. We're all going to try and blame the league. But at the end of the day, Masai does what he wants to do. He also, I mean, people have to remember, too, that although he's on contract until the end of the 2021 season, he has an opt-out clause. Yep, yep, yep. Right? And remember, too, this isn't something that isn't going on, that isn't going on with, you know, just the, the, the commissioner. Remember, Larry Tannenbaum, is not just one of the regular owners in the NBA. He's one of the chairmen on the board. Not all order, owners are in this chair are, are, are chairman of the boards. Here's how Adam Silver solves this problem right now, whether Masayu Jerry leaves or not. Now that it's out there, he sends, he says right now, if Masayu Jerry goes to the New York Knicks before his term is up, the Raptors get R.J. Barrett and this year's first round draft pick from the Knicks, and then boom, we're all good. The NBA looks like they're clean, and the, if the Knicks want to do that, then away you go. Well, there's, there's, for that to happen, even though the Knicks say they don't, you know, they're not interested in that happening, for Messiah Jerry to opt out of his contract and leave, there will be compensation. And absolutely, there will be compensation, and it's generally, you know, very, very established players or high or or first round draft picks. So, if the Knicks are going to make this move, it will definitely be definitely be at a cost. Those are the rules. All right. Second thing I want to get to this other story today just blew me away, and then I stopped for a moment because my initial thought was, okay, this is nuts, and then I stopped for a a moment and I said, you know what? It's not nuts. Pete Rose, the long embattled band from baseball, former hit here, still hit king, has come, has filed a letter with Major League Baseball, with, or, and maybe with an arbitrator, I can't remember, but I think it's just with Major League Baseball, asking for his lifetime ban to be revoked on the basis that I was kicked out of baseball and have spent how many years now? 30 years in, in Bandville because I bet on the game because I cheated on baseball. The Houston Astros players, who we now know with this system they got going on that helped them win two World Series, the players have no player has been banned, no player has been disciplined. And Pete Rose says, well, if you're not going to discipline players for cheating, why am I on the outs? And at first, as I say, I thought that was nuts. And then I thought about it and I said, he's right. He's right which I don't want him back in the game because I think he cheated, but I think it puts the pressure on. you got to do something against some of these Astros players. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, that's not going to happen. You know that, and I know that, right? And, and I agree with you. I, in fact, I agreed with Pete on the very the first time I heard about this. In fact, I, I, you know, come on. Did he do wrong? Absolutely. Has he served, what has it been, 35 years of punishment? I mean, how much longer do, does this have to go on? 
you're talking about one of the premium. I mean, his numbers are scattered all, and his name is scattered all over the record books. And what he did as a player is what we should remember, not so much of as a manager. He's paid the price. He's been publicly shamed. He's. I, I don't know how much more you can you can beat up a man, but at this at this point and in his advanced age, and you know what's going to happen, Scott, is he'll get in. But he, I hate to say this, and I hate to be morbid. Oh, he'll be dead. He'll be dead when he gets in, and that's a shame. And we've talked about, you and I have talked about this on your show, and we've talked about this personally, about, um, uh, not Pat Quinn, but, um, uh, sorry, uh, my name is this guy, uh, Pat Burns. Yes, oh yeah, Pat right? Burns, yeah, who they waited to put him in the Hall of Fame till after he died for no good reason. For no good reason, right? And and yes, and, and we, you know, we will always know the shame that, Pete Rose absorbed and deservedly so, and I I know that and you know there was a time where I I listened to him and I'm like this guy is such a hoax, but at this point here he should be somewhat recognized for what he did as not just a regular baseball player but a deserved Hall of Famer. It's time, and you, and you're right. Here's an example that he has just put in all of our faces, and I, it's hard not to agree with what he is saying here. Because well, there is World Series champions that are that have rings that cheated. And see, some of them are very good ball players. I disagree on the premise that uh, he bet on baseball, which is the cardinal sin, and so I have a harder time just saying let him back in. Regardless, though, that was, was that wasn't that as a manager? It, it was, but with that, you could argue that that had even more of an impact on the game because he was controlling stuff as but a manager. He, but, but wouldn't he be going in as as you know all players do as either a manager or a player? Uh, on his on his plaque has to, you don't have to we don't have to put anything about his manager we put his years of service to the major league to major league baseball as a player. We'll we'll leave that one for a second because we disagree on that one. That's fine though because the issue right now is and, and I, I'm with you on the second part is that there should be some consistency here. So if you're going to keep Pete Rose out of baseball. It makes no sense that the Houston Astros players who were part of this cheating operation should get away scot-free. Just the same as if you're going to ban him, then you must ban them. Like it, Somehow baseball has put itself in this horrible spot by deciding they're not going to do something to these Astros players. Probably, almost certainly because the commissioner knows that if he does, he's got to go into the collective agreement and he's going to end up in a huge fight and it's more trouble probably in his mind than it's worth. But man, it, it seems like you can't pick and choose which cheaters you're going to take to task. Shouldn't they lose their World Series title I, then? I have said that from the beginning. I've had some people say, no, that's ludicrous. You won the World Series based, uh, at least there's a case to be made that you can say, you won the World Series because you were cheating. It, it, to me, it's no different. It is no different at all from Ben Johnson losing his gold medal. He won because he cheated, so he immediately lost the record. He lost the medal. He lost the title. And but, and but as anyone would tell you, it's easy to pick or it's easier to pick on one than twenty five. I right? understand that, but it's the concept, it's the philosophy of it, it's the consistency of it. If you cheat, and that cheating takes you to a title, that title is tainted. And so, I, I'm with you. The Houston Astros, if they cheated, and I truly believe they did, and baseball believes they did. That title is tainted and should be taken away. How are the Los Angeles Dodgers, who lost both of those titles, right? They, they were the losers both times. 
how how do they not look at this and say, wait a second, I'm the guy who didn't take steroids in the 100 meters and lost and didn't end up getting the medal even though I did what I was supposed to do? Well, I mean, I, that's extending. You can extend that. I mean, how? I mean, and I know no one ever feels sorry for the Yankees, but they were part of the playoff run, sure. there, right? Sure. Right. No, I, I, if you cheat, there's, there's a, there's an old um, legal term, and I'm not going to dive too deeply into this. People have always heard this before, but if you are a police officer and you like go into a house without a warrant and you find incriminating evidence, usually the court will throw that out. And then anything that stems from that will also be thrown out because it's fruit of the poisoned tree, they call it. So, well, that's the same as this. If you win a championship based on cheating, the championship is the fruit of the poison tree. You got to throw the whole tree out. And so, look, if Pete Rose is out of baseball, whether you agree with that or disagree with that, it seems to me nonsensical. And, And we've also got guys with steroids who have been penalized, are being penalized. And are being kicked out of baseball for long times because they're cheating. How do you decide what cheating is okay and what cheating isn't? If you're cheating, you're cheating. Anyway, yeah, it's it's, it's such a slippery slope. And, and again, we're talking about double standards all over the place. Um, and I, I think you're right in saying that Major League Baseball backed itself in a corner um, because there are rules for some and rules for others and. The situations have been, you know, different situations have been dealt in different manners um, for virtually the same thing. And I don't know how they get out of it. Um, we're also talking about the opinions of different um, commissioners as well, too, that have attracted, that have attacked these issues in different in different manners. What's the name of the Milwaukee Brewers outfielder? He's still playing. Who a number of years ago was suspended for a year or close to a year for steroids? Oh, uh, Braun. Yeah, yeah, Braun. Okay. Um, that guy, not only did he miss a bunch of time in baseball after, I think it was the year or two after he won the MVP award, but he has from, from that point on, I think to many people been seen as a cheater. Well, why is, why did he pay a price for what he did? I don't think what he did as a cheater was any more malicious or worse than what the Astros were doing. It was significant over the top, not gamesmanship cheating. This wasn't this wasn't trying to steal a sign when you're on second base, which is sort of gamesmanship. This was an organized outside of the game thing that was going on. That that to me is the line here, and I, I don't see why Braun is the one who ends up, you know. And I'm not sympathetic to him, but why does he pay a price and these guys don't? I think Pete Rose has raised a hugely problematic but accurate issue for baseball to now try to deal with. Yeah, I, I said after years and years of kind of you know saying that this is a a sad man, and I, and I kind of mean that for various reasons. Um, I find it hard not to to be on his side at, at this point. I, I I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I and and I don't agree with him getting back in, but I think he absolutely has a point one way or another, and. I don't know that, I mean, maybe baseball can just turn around and say, well, it's Pete Rose, ignore him, we, like they've done for a long time. But I, I don't know that you can at this point. You know, unfortunately, that, I think that's what's going to happen right now. I think he's, you know, and again, partially of his own fault is kind of turned into a laughing stock of, basket, of baseball. Yeah, well, probably. Sad because you're talking about, and I didn't see his whole career, but I saw, you know, as a child, I, you know, saw, you know, I would say probably half of it, you know, as a sports viewer. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, back then was a little different. We didn't get to see all as many games as we did back then. But Pete Rose, obviously, we got to see him a lot with the Expos to see what kind of a ball player he was. And uh, uh, that, that's just a cry and shame that well, someone as, as good as him is, may, is, is, a, is a you know not in the Hall of Fame. Maybe Pete Rose can be the GM of the Knicks. <laughs> Solve all of our problems. Him and Dolan, what a what a combination. Uh, that would be like Fight Club. One guy goes in, only one. Two guys go in, only one comes out. Only one comes yeah, out. Yeah, uh, that would not be good. Uh, Bubba O'Neill from CHH, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing uh, this. That was a good conversation. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.